Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. Jenny Black is the founder of Media Trauma Care. She has personally suffered from media trauma and is living proof that your phone doesn't have to run your life. She is a marriage and family therapist who specializes in training and education about how mental health is impacted by our use of media. Hands down, one of the things that we are talking the most about in our offices on a weekly, daily, sometimes hourly basis is technology and how overwhelmed parents feel in navigating this digital world. So we're excited to keep bringing new and different voices to this conversation and offering up as much information as possible about Taming the Technology Monster, which is a book written by a great friend of mine named Sissy Goth that if you don't own and haven't found, you need to find your way to right now. And more information about technology coming. Here's our interview with Jenny Black. Jenny, we are so excited to have you on today and have just heard about your work for years. People have talked to us about the difference you make in their lives. And I would say in a couple of spaces, I mean, as a therapist and as a supervisor, you have some folks that did internships here that have gone on and are sitting under you and learning so much. And now what you're doing with technology this season of our podcast is called Modern Parents Vintage Values. And one of the questions we ask everyone is, what do you think is harder about being a parent today? Every person but one that we've interviewed, which is probably 35 people, have all said technology. And so the fact that you've created this space where you're really addressing it and helping folks navigate it just could not be any more grateful for you. So thank you for joining us. And will you tell us about kind of your journey and how you yeah. got there? So kind of a good reference point would be that my kids were some of the first iPhone kids. So the whole like, wait until eighth grade. Well, they couldn't really have it before eighth grade. And so mm. they were the very beginning of teenagers having phones. And it was like, they might get them one or two years before they drove, which everybody was pretty much, you wanted your kid to have a phone when they drove. But a phone became a smartphone really fast, like, right. which that difference is so significant. I could talk about that for a whole podcast. Wow. So I was kind of on the front lines of watching what took place in my kids' lives. And I can say today, which most people would agree with, that how much it's changed since then. Yes. It was pretty. There were some pretty innocent platforms and things to be engaged in back then, and it's become quite a beast. Maybe that's a good word for it. So I was very, very, very into social media. Like I was one of the first people on Facebook or Instagram. I loved them. I loved the ideas of what we could do with it. It was the language I spoke. It was like, I loved it. I really wanted my kids to learn how to function on it because I was like, hey guys, this is going to be like 
a thing. Our kids need to know how to exist in these spaces. I loved the possibility of getting to stay connected with my kids and their friends. Like I followed mm. all of them. They followed me. I was like, this is like kind of getting a to tap into an underworld that parents have never had the opportunity to be in before. So I was like, I was on board. We lived our lives. My kids got phones. I was very intentional, like just like I'd always been. Like when they were little, they didn't get more than an hour of TV a day. The same thing was when they got their phones, we had very similar boundaries. Like I was much more concerned with the time they spent on it than I was the content that they were consuming or that they were putting out there because I saw everything that they did and they saw everything I did. It was kind of an open environment. So fast forward several years later, I started hitting burnout personally as a therapist and a mom. My kids started really having anxiety attacks, really suffering. Like all of us were suffering PTSD symptoms. And I was just like, this is weird. We haven't had any trauma. Mm. Like I work on the front lines of this. Why are we all melting down all the time every day? And I did tons of work on self-care with people. And so it was just like, okay, I need to take a break, reset, I can't help anybody else's kids or family until I can, I wasn't even okay, much less even helping my own family, but like it's time to take a step back. Took a sabbatical in 2015 and on that sabbatical, I couldn't take a sabbatical. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, like I've, I'm not working at my job. I've quit all sorts of anything that I could say no to. I said no to. I was a mom. I spent all day like reading, sleeping, walking, you know, all the things I would want my clients to do if they were in the state that I was in. And I couldn't get a break. I was managing my phone all day, every day. I was trying to put these boundaries around it. I was trying to figure out when to post or not post about my sabbatical. Mm. (laughs) Because at that point in time, social media was so integrated in my identity. I didn't even think that that was something I could not do. (laughs) And at that point in time, even though it was not that long ago, no one was talking about taking a technology break or what Mm. it was doing, like nothing. So that prompted me to go, oh my gosh, something's going on with this. Like, what if this is actually what's burning me out instead of my work with trauma clients, which made a much more logical deduction, you know? So after four or five months on that sabbatical, my phone stopped working. It broke. And I just didn't get it fixed for the next month. And I just was like, huh. And that month was like, I'm the happiest person I've ever been. Like all sense of depression or anxiety had completely lifted. I was loving my moments I was in. And during that time, I started becoming more aware of what was happening to my kids because I was finally off my phone. Mm. So I was watching what they were going through. So that was kind of my wake-up moment of something's going on here, and if we don't pay attention to this, it is going to take us all under. So since then, I've just been doing experiments with my kids, with myself, interviewing people, researching ideas, and of course, over these past seven years, tons of new information has come out, and it's much more a topic of conversation. Yes. Oh, so grateful for you doing that. Yes. So are you still practicing the other spaces too? Frontlines trauma work and no, 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 I'm not. 2022 was my year to be done with individual therapy, but and you're now I'm supervising. I realize that therapists have been trained in an old model for problems that it's not that they don't exist anymore. It's that we have a whole new layer of more urgent demands. It's like being in a war zone. 
you're not going to do grief work in a war zone. Mm. And most of our kids are emotionally in a war zone and Mm. truly parents also. And so I really want to be a part of restructuring the therapy model to be dealing with the issues that are coming into our office. I want to be a part of a new training for a new paradigm for therapy. So if those are some of the ways that the sabbatical informed your vocational life, how did you see it inform your personal life and even in the arena of parenting? Oh, this is such a good question. I really appreciate you asking it because it changed everything. It changed everything. It changed me. For four years after that, I did not have an iPhone. I didn't have any phone, actually. And I was really determined on how to set up my life in a way that was not dependent on it because I have an inner rebel that doesn't like when anyone, especially society, tells me I have to do something. And everyone kept saying, well, you have to do it. You have to have it. None of us have any choice. And I was like, I'm going to show you. (laughs) And like, I was determined that there is a path, even if it's a hard one, even if it makes my life not as convenient as everybody else's, I'm going to figure out how to live without this. And even today, I don't have an iPhone. I have a a Gab phone, which gets basically a kind of glorified flip phone. It's made for kids and it's awesome. You talk on it and you text on it. You can't send pictures and it looks like an iPhone. So it makes kids feel more like, see, it looks like I have a phone, right? but no internet connection. So that's a big deal. The second one is that when I got off of my phone, when I was available and when I was living screen-free, I mean, I don't even know what percentage is to say, my kids were just waiting for me to put my phone down. Mm. And that has been the biggest misconception I see in families is they want to control their kids' phone use or screen use, or they want them to get off of it. And it does get very deep and very addictive if kids have been neglected for a long time. But that's what my husband and I both acknowledged was we're the ones who went away first. We had iPhones about five years before they did, and they lost their parents. When my kids were young and I was in line with them at the post office for an hour, they had my full attention. They had me like, we're going to sing a song and we're going to play I Spy and we're going to whatever. And then one day when I got my phone, they lost their mom. Mm. And that happened across our whole society. Kids lost the adults for about four years before we decided, hey, you know what would be great? Let's give our kid one of these too. Mm. So what I realized is even though my, my kids were in high school at the time, that even though they were in high school and they had all of their screen addicted, all the hooks and whatever that we all suffer from, that when I was available, like literally just sitting there available, they were always like, hey, mom, hey, mom, like, can we talk about it? Can we whatever? And their friends were like, I was the only adult on deck that was available. Mm. For, and it was just like, all of these kids were just waiting for someone to be paying enough attention that they could engage with. I mean, I got invited to my kids' birthday parties. I got to help a stranger work on a speech that she was working on during a break. I had like, literally because I was an adult sitting there, not on my phone. Mm. So that is my number one thing is don't worry about your kids' phone use. Worry about yours because not just your kids, but almost every human would rather be connecting with another human than somebody through their phone, but nobody's paying attention. Mm. Mm. Wow. Your response reminds me, I was just listening to a podcast and they were talking about a study that I remember reading and thinking, I want to implement this and forgot it, as often (laughs) will happen with something I read, about 
what happens when we don't have our phone available at dinner, at a mealtime, say at a restaurant, and that if the phone is put away where we can't even see it, not just put down on the table where we can't touch it, that when they evaluated people's experience in the meal, they enjoyed the food more, they reported that the service was better, like all these things that just, it was both mind-blowing and not to think everything you're saying. Like we experience people, we experience flavors, we have experiences that are way different and more satisfying when that happens. And so the very day I heard it, my wife and I were going out to dinner. I was like, we're we're putting them away, away, like not just on the table, but like in your purse where we can't see them. That feels so reflective of so much of what you're saying you experience beyond a meal, but in life and in interacting with people you love. So I'm so thankful you spoke to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do not in our family, and now most people are a little self-conscious of it around me. (laughs) I'm sure, yes. (laughs) They're like, if there's a person with you, there's no phone. Like that's, it's just not there. Mm. What would you say specific to kids is the effect you're seeing technology have on them? Oh, gosh. Big question. It has progressively become worse. With my kids, it was a lot of distraction, a lot of anxiety because they never had their full access to their brains to think through, oh gosh, I need to get that book from my dresser or, oh, hey, so-and-so. Like It was missing small things when my kids were in school. Mm. That was causing them a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of grade problems, a lot of sleep issues, because they were just scattered. So it wasn't so much that they were being traumatized by their Mm -hmm. phone. It was more that they were being pinged and kind of that stone skipping on the surface, not having any opportune time to like sink in and really think and plan and all those things that make our life less stressful. Every year that passes, two things that are happening at the same time, the devices are getting in younger hands Mm. and the social media, which I don't know if that's the right word, but the social media or the various platforms are becoming more and more insidious. Mm. Mm. And so you have both of those things happening at the same time. So now I feel... It sounds dramatic to someone outside of the therapeutic spaces, but I think most children who have devices in their lives, whether they have a choice or not, I don't know. I'm I'm still up in the air about that one. It's trauma. It's trauma. Mm. I mean, and you guys believe me probably mm-hmm. more than most people mm. would. Like the trauma of what they're seeing, what they're not getting, what they're not having during these phases of development that are so vulnerable and... I mean, I, I could go off on a hundred things, but the one that I think most people can grab onto easily is the device itself actually creates a disorganized attachment style. So if you have a, a healthy child and a healthy family, no abuse, you know, no trauma in the old-fashioned way that we would view it, and you have this relationship with your phone and with these various platforms that is constantly giving you opposite messages, right? You belong, you don't belong. You're mm. you're good enough, you're not good enough. My son said one time, I never know if the ding is going to be the thing that makes my day or ruins my week. Mm. Wow. So one of the things I say is that our phones have become our primary attachment figure. Mm. And it's the most I mean, it's the most abusive, narcissistic, 
system that we oh. could ever have given over our attachment to. And that's not because there are evil people that created it. It's because it's not created for humans. It was not made to be an attachment figure. And it's certainly, as we know with narcissism, it's not looking out for the people who are on it. It mm. only cares about what it's getting from the consumer. And those consumers are now infants. Mm. They're now infants. Mm. Sissy, Melissa, and I love to link arms with other like-minded friends who are working to strengthen families. That's why we are so thrilled to be partnering with Minnow to bring you the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. Minnow is a streaming service designed just for kids, but it's so much more than that. Minnow not only provides meaningful screen time, but also shared experiences through devotionals and discussion guides for families to help you grow in life and faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominno.com. That's podcast.gominno.com. Along those lines, what are your top three or four or five (laughs) guidelines you want every parent to know around technology? Number one is parents deal with yourself first. Yes. When you have your phone put away every single time your child is present, then then start dealing with your kids' habits. Mm. Like just start being available to them. I did a big training with a group of 70 kids from I think it was like 48 states and seven countries. After we like did our talk with the kids all about this, I was having a talk with their parents the next day. And I asked them, what do you all want me to tell your parents? And they said, we want you to tell our parents to put their phones away. We Mm. want to be with them. We want to know them. So that's my number one. Like, don't even worry. Number two is stop trying to control how and when and what and if and really be available for your child. Like, realize what they're going through emotionally is so beyond them. Most of them also know it's beyond their parents. It's beyond every therapist I talk to and train. It's beyond me. I'm sure y'all feel like it's beyond you. So realize that they need a safe place to unpack what they're experiencing there without, I'm the most guilty person in the world of this, without being like, well, you shouldn't be on your phone. (laughs) Get off your phone. But realize the trauma's happened and be available to talk to them. What they're going through, no other generation in humanity has had to go through it, not at the ages they are. And I think these kids, they're some of the strongest humans that we'll ever see, and they get so much grief for being on their phones and being addicted to social media, which we're the adults of that. Like We created that world that handed them over to that and did not do a good job of protecting them. So in my opinion, it's our job to take care of the fallout of that. So that's number two. Number three would be everybody's in over their heads. So the gift that you could be offering your kid to not give them one, it's the difference between like drinking water every day and drinking poison every day. It's not a punishment. And the more parents that will do it, the more parents that will do it, the happier kids will be to have other kids who don't have phones. Okay, let's jump to social media since you mentioned it. What's the impact that you see it having? And you had alluded to that already in terms of what they're seeing and experiencing in the narcissist. I love that. Idea. And then also, what guidelines would you coach parents to have around social media? Oh, gosh. 
The problem is that it gives this like kind of perception. You get caught in this loop that you don't stop long enough to weigh the pros and cons and decide, are there more pros? Are there more cons? Do I get to make a conscious decision about whether I want this in my life? As I said, I was very active on social media. I had a very positive experience with social media. And for me, that was as harmful to my life as having a negative experience on social media because it made my real life very dim and colorless and not mm. didn't give me the same feedback or satisfaction or ego boosts that I got on social media. So I was living more and more and more in that space. And my reality suffered because of that. And what I'm seeing more with students today is they're not having a lot of fun on it. It's a lot of kind of managing. It's kind of like when my kids were little, my daughter, her first day of seventh grade and my son's first day of ninth grade, we had our like, take your school picture on the front porch, you know, for the first day of school. And my daughter walked out and my son looked at her and he was like, you look like every other seventh grade girl at school. And she goes, thank God. Oh, <laughs> yes. Like you just don't want to stand out. Mm. So there's most people I think who are operating in social media, they just want to do enough to belong, right? Mm. I mean, you guys know how significant that need is. So I don't think most people are just having a great time. They're just trying to not have a bad time. And yet the reality is more and more and more energy is being put towards managing that image and brand and surviving in that space than in our reality, than in their reality. And the fact is the digital spaces cannot nourish human development. Real spaces nourish human mm -hmm. development. And so the neglect of the needs that are not getting met in reality are causing less and less of resources to be able to function in the digital spaces or in mm. real spaces. If we can pour our resources into our reality, then you'll have the brain space to be able to assess what's good for me. How can I use this social media platform for something that is actually helpful and not harmful for me? But that will not happen until your real needs in the human world are met. Mm. Which circles back around to parents putting down their phones as well and <laughs> helping kids connect and engage. And helping teaching your kids how to, like I spent a whole year with my daughter, like this is how you write a check. This is how you plan out what mm. you're going to eat this week. This is how you shop at the grocery store. This is how you interact with a stranger at a coffee shop in line. <laughs> you know, like those kinds of things are what actually help people develop a person mm -hmm. so that if there is any good to be had from social media, they have a clue as to how to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So thinking about modern parents' vintage values and that being kind of our premise for this season, what's something that you wish was still true from when you were growing up? I think that it wasn't just that I didn't have a phone, but nobody did. You know, I mean, just mm -hmm. the fun of that. I wish the ways parents didn't monitor kids Mm. that it's my job to keep my kids safe, that there's something I can do to keep my kids safe, and that their child's world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And yet we feel safe. So many kids say, my parents make me have an iPhone because they want to find my iPhone. They want to track me. 
And so parents are giving their kids phones because that makes the parents feel like the kids are safe, and yet they have given something that has made their child's life more unsafe than anything we ever experienced Mm. growing up. So I miss from childhood the freedom that our parents and society gave us as kids to go and play and be unmonitored and have hours at a time where the parent didn't know where we were and nobody was scared. That That wasn't frightening. Mm. It is certainly a different world in terms of that. So along those lines, let's go old school for a minute and tell us something from when you were a kid that you love, like a favorite band, favorite show, favorite book. Okay, so my uncles and my aunt were in both Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith's bands. So I got to do, I got to go to their concerts. I got to see my aunts and uncles on stage. I got to have backstage passes and get my picture taken and like could not get enough of Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, ever. I still couldn't. That's so (laughs) fun. One of my all-time favorite books, have y'all ever read from the mixed up files of Miss Basely, Frank Weiler? Yes. It's a great one. I've not read it. Well, it's a story of a brother and a sister who run away from home. To, is it the Metropolitan Museum of Art? And they live there and they like take baths in the fountains and they sleep in the beds and they end up finding this mystery that they're solving. So that's one of my favorite books. And what was the, Love it. What was the third one? Shows. <laughs> when I was 12, my favorite television show was 30 something. <laughs> oh, you're speaking his language. I loved that show. And from the time I was 12 until I was 30-something, I was just trying to get to 30-something. That's <laughs> awesome. I loved it. Michael Stebman made me want to go into advertising. Right, exactly. Yes. I loved that show. Yes. I love I that, too. I still haven't seen it. I need to go back and watch it. <sighs> it's so good. So good. Have you watched it as an adult? No, but I've thought, I want uh-huh. to do that. Yeah, me too. And see how it lands on us in this space. <laughs> it's so great. So we want people to be able to find you. So where could folks go to find your work, read more about what you're doing? I have a website called mediatrauma.com. Soon it should be jennywiseblack.com or either one of those will get there. So that's a way to contact me. Basically, the main thing that I'm doing now is doing consulting work and workshops with organizations and companies on how to manage boundaries around technology and being able to understand and process like how environments, I feel like this solution is going to have to be, it's a social problem. It's going to have to Mm. be a social solution. And so my goal is really to kind of start new conversations and influence cultures to create different cultures so that we can pull away from our dependency on the platforms that are bankrupting us of the human resources that we need. Wow. Great. Well, we've got one more question. Okay. We like to move from the substantive to something fun, and we're great lovers of tacos. What's your favorite? Okay. I have lots of feelings about tacos. Great. Share them. <laughs> so I grew up in Texas. Ooh. I moved here in 91. Tacos weren't a big deal in Nashville in 91. <laughs> that has only True. happened in the last few decades or a couple decades. So here, people are like really into what you put in the taco, like how fancy and new and you know cutting edge can it be? In Texas, it was about the tortilla, like the house-made tortilla. Mm. So that being said, Lady Bird Tacos makes their flour tortillas at order. And then El Guadalajara in Franklin makes their corn tortillas by hand. So I don't really care what you put in those tacos. Those are the tacos I want to eat. 
That's great. We'll see you at Lady Bird. We will. Uh-huh. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I hope so. Yes. I hope so. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for doing a deep dive into the subject for all of us and learning more and helping to educate folks. Yes. So glad to learn from you and hear you Thank talk you about all this. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.